we're going to just jump right in here. Um, but before I do, uh, um, if you, as you've been going through 21 days of prayer and fasting, if God's really shown some things in your life, if God's uh, answered prayer in your life, uh, we would love to know. We'd love to be able to share that on our worship night. Uh, and so if you wouldn't mind just putting that in the, on the card at the bottom, there's a little tear-off for uh, prayer requests and celebration. Let us know how we can celebrate with you. Uh, we would love, love to do that. Well, one of the, um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a ringing up on stage. Uh, Anthony, if you don't mind, uh, see if you can figure that out. Got it. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that has this um, weird thing where noises like uh, drive me nuts. And like, you know, when people are like eating chips or, um, or like eating cereal at your table, like my kids know not to do that. Uh, it's a horrible childhood for my kids, but um, one of the things that uh, Kelly and I were reminded of, uh, if, you're not, if you've been with us since the summer, uh, you might not know this, but uh, over the summer this last year, uh, Kelly and I took about three months to, uh, uh, to be on a sabbatical, and it was really for us uh, to step off of the kind of the treadmill of ministry, if you will, is what I call it. It's that every week, like we're uh, we're putting on another uh, gathering, another service, and uh, and sometimes in the midst of that, you can get so focused on uh, on this that you lose focus on the bigger picture, and uh, and so uh, from. From our standpoint, for us to just take a few months and step off of that treadmill for a second and just kind of focus our time and energy on what God has for our church, uh, one of the things that we were reminded of was uh, the role, our role and responsibility, that our, our job is to stay in our lane and to really, if you look at Scripture, uh, it talks about, uh, in Ephesians specifically, it talks about that the role uh, of those who are called to pastor, shepherd, teacher, you know, whatever uh, pastoral word you want to use, is to equip people to do the work of the ministry. One of the other things that we were reminded of uh, had to do with worship, and that as a church, we really wanted to lead our congregation, our, our church, into uh, being a people of worship. And, and so for the last couple of months, I've uh, uh, kind of alluded to this. I've, I've talked about us being worshipers. Uh, I think I even kind of gave us a hard time about showing up on time in order to be here for the singing worship portion of our service. And, uh, and uh, I even taught on it once on worship in, over the last couple of months. Uh, but I realized that uh, I grew up in the church. Um, my parents were pastors. Uh, I still think they are pastors, uh, even though they may not be vocationally pastors and they may be retired. Uh, you don't get to retire from Jesus. Uh, that's not uh, a part of the equation. Um, but from the time I was born until I left to go off to Bible college, I grew up in the church. I was at the church all the time. I was equipped by the church and uh, heard countless messages on things. And uh, and then even after I graduated high school, went into Bible college, and my parents ended up pastoring a church uh, after Oregon up in Oklahoma City, and then my dad went on to be a, a denominational leader as a district supervisor. And, and what I realized is that um, if I'm not careful, I can, 
make assumptions. I can, I can make assumptions that, um, that people know more than what they really know. And, and because I grew up in the church, sometimes the language that I use and, uh, and the assumptions that I make aren't really all that fair because there's people, as I had a conversation this last week with someone who's fairly new in their faith, and, uh, and understanding some of the language things and, and the dynamics, and I, I just realized that, oh my goodness, I've made a lot of assumptions. And, and the problem with that is when you make those kinds of assumptions, you, you kind of create an environment uh, that isn't very conducive to asking questions, right? So if the assumption is that you already know this, then if you don't know this, it can feel really uncomfortable uh, and make you feel a little insecure that you would ever even ask a question about it because I've already assumed that you know. Does that make sense? So first of all, I just want to apologize for that. Um, but secondly, uh, especially in this area of worship, I've realized that um, I've made some assumptions along the way that, you, that, that we all know why we worship and, and the importance of our worship, uh, and I want to back that train up a little bit, and I, I really want to dive uh, a little bit deeper into the, the what and the why and the how we worship our God, and, and hopefully uh, today will be helpful to you as we navigate this. And there's going to be uh, some things, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can grab those, uh, it, whether they're paper or digital. Uh, you know, I'll just assume that you're looking at the Bible if you're on your phones um, and not on, you know, social media. But, um, but we're going to be kind of digging into it, and we're going to cover a topic that isn't uh, covered very often uh, in the context of uh, a Sunday morning service. We're week two into 21 days of prayer and fasting, and uh, last week we talked about the, the space between our prayer and our praise, and that for us as Christ followers, we, we cannot waste that space, and that uh, God often does his best work in the waiting, in those times in which we are uh, in between our prayer and our praise. And, and so I thought today, as we uh, are in the midst of 21 days of prayer and fasting, for me, worship is a big part of, this, uh, of these three weeks in my life. And so I, I want to share with you, and I'm hopeful that you will find this foundational practice um, helpful and maybe even in a, see it in a different light today. Um, I'm going to kick off with a statement uh, that I think is possible that you might have heard before. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, obvious statement, uh, but maybe not one that we think about all that time, uh, all, all that much. The, the first statement that I'm going to make is that we just all worship something. We do. Even if church isn't your thing, and even if this, uh, this time of singing worship and, and singing these songs to the words on the screen isn't your thing, you worship something. You do. Even those who don't ever go to church or have a relationship with God, uh, they, they worship something. Which leads me to the next statement, which is worship is our response to what we value the most. 
So you can tell what somebody worships by the amount of time that they spend on it, the amount of money that they spend, how much energy and loyalty and effort that they give to it. Like You can worship a lot of things. You can worship shopping. So you can, and some of you are laughing, like maybe not regular shopping, but target shopping, you can definitely worship. Um, you can worship golf. You can worship your favorite football team. You can, you can, you can worship, listen, it, I know this is hard to believe, but you can actually worship your work. And, and typically, worshiping your work is uh, wrapped up in worshiping success and worshiping uh, a monetary gain or wealth. And, uh, and so you, you can worship a lot of things. But listen, God is not opposed to you having other things in your life. Now, I understand when I use the word worship, that can get a little bit confusing. Like we can think to ourselves, well, uh, I don't think God's okay with me worshiping my favorite football team. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about necessarily a religious worshiping where you're praying to your favorite football team. If you are, we probably need to have a little deeper discussion on what's going on in your life if you're praying to your football team or your golf game. Now, I pray during my golf game. <laughs> That's different, but I'm not praying to my golf game. I'm praying during my golf game. Um, and that's a whole lot better than swearing during my golf game. <laughs> what it does mean is that we have things in our life, and what God is saying is, it's okay to have things in your life as long as those things don't come first in your life. I want to be first in your life is what he's telling us. And, and it's okay to have these other things, but, but don't let those things become first in your life. In fact, it's the very first commandment, right? Uh, we are told, have no other gods before me. In other words, I want to be first. What that translates into is that there will be many things that will take our time, take our energy, take our money, but he wants to be first in everything. Now, I'm not going to preach a message on the principle of the first, but uh, I just want to point out the fact that that's why uh, we gather together to worship him at the first of the week. Right? I'm not talking about like it's some sort of necessarily, um, it has to be this, this time of the week, but, but traditionally it's on Sunday because it's the first of the week. Uh, it's why we give him uh, the first of the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're setting aside a time at the first of the year. It's why we give him sometimes, for those of you who get up in the morning and spend time with him, we give him the first of our day. When we tithe, we give of the first of our money, of our resources. There's things that we do in our life as a reminder that he comes first in our life. But if we're not careful... What can happen is we can exchange our worship or give our first to something or someone else. Romans 1 talks about this. I don't have the scripture on the screen for you, but if you have a chance, you can uh, look up Romans 1. You should look up Romans 1. But it talks about, it, it, Paul's addressing a reprobate generation, <laughs> 
And I'm not making any sort of correlation to our current generation. I'm just saying that's who he's talking about. And this is why he calls them reprobate, is because it says that they exchanged for the creation instead of the creator. They started worshiping everything that was made, everything that was of this world, and not the one who made them. And this is what it says happened to them. It says their minds became darkened and lives became perverted. So worship is something that we've got to get right. It's something that's very important. In fact, I, I want to I take you all the way back to the very first worshiper. Uh, in theological terms, uh, in order to fully understand a concept or an idea or something of Scripture, you have to go back to what's called the principle of, uh, or the law of first mention. You have to go all the way back to the original, to, to where it started. And from that, you get the proper context and the understanding of what it is that you're trying to comprehend. And, and so we have to go, in order to understand the why and the how that we worship and the importance of our worship, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the original. Uh, I was going to say the OG, but I'm way too old for that. And most of you don't even, like, the OG, what is that? And all the people in the front row <laughs> snickered and laughed because they did. Um, I'm here for you guys. Um, <laughs> we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Who, who was the first worshiper? Well, there are three named angels in Scripture. You probably didn't come here this morning, tune in online, thinking that, uh, not that you tune in, you're not really tuning in, you're just clicking in, but uh, you're, you're not watching online thinking that we were going to talk about angels and Lucifer and all of that, but it's going to be a fun Sunday. So three named angels in the Bible, right? The first is uh, Michael. There's many angels in the Bible, only three that, that are, we are given names for. One is Michael, and Michael's focus is that of prayer. Uh, we used a scripture reference from last week, uh, or we used it last week from Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel is in the midst of a prayer a prayer time and a fasting time. And if you remember the scripture, it, it says that um, Daniel prays and Michael says to Daniel, on the first day of your prayer, I heard you and I was coming to respond, but the prince of Persia withstood me, but I'm fighting on your behalf. So from the moment that Daniel prayed, Michael heard the prayer, started to respond, but got interrupted by the prince of Persia, the prince of Persia being a, uh, an analogy or an understanding of the enemy, of a spiritual force that's coming against Daniel. And so Michael fed them and, uh, uh, met the prince of Persia and started fighting the prince of Persia. And I would just say that that's what takes place in our prayer, that when we pray, he hears us and he is fighting our battles for us. The second angel that is named uh, is, is Gabriel. Uh, we see Gabriel show up in the Christmas story. Remember the angel that showed up to Mary to bring Mary a word, right, to deliver a message. And so oftentimes Gabriel is referenced to that of bringing a message or bringing the word of God to people. 
And then the third angel that's named is Lucifer. And he is most associated with worship. He's the angel in heaven that's involved in worship. And I'm going to show you in Scripture the role that Lucifer played. Interestingly, though, before we move on, uh, I think it's interesting that in, in those three cases of the angels, you have uh, Michael with the prayer, Gabriel with the word, and Lucifer with worship. Those three things are really three foundational areas of our Christianity. That if you want to get closer to God, it's, it's through prayer, it's through spending time and understanding his word, and it's through worship. I have an opinion. Uh, I have lots of them. Uh, my staff will tell you that. My wife will definitely tell you that. Um, I think it's important that I share with you that it is my opinion, that, that this isn't something that I can prove in Scripture, but this is something that, uh, based upon the Scripture, I, I formed an opinion about. And uh, and so you, nobody's tweeting, you know, Pastor Ryan, you know, gave a new revelation from God that, you know, this is what's taking place. But um, so, so put an asterisk by what I'm about to tell you because it's my opinion. Um, my opinion is that um, the angels are divided into those three categories. That there's a section of angels, a third of the angels that are uh, devoted and focused on prayer, a, a third of the angels that are focused and devoted on, on the bringing the message of God and, and the prophetic uh, and then a group of angels that are devoted to worship. And, and the reason why I have that opinion is because, as you're about to see, that when God expelled Lucifer out of heaven, Scripture tells us that what, did he, what went with him? A third of the angels. Yeah. So I want to show you two places in the Old Testament where Satan fell from heaven. And if you're looking in a paper Bible, uh, it's important that you not get distracted by the fact that at the very top of what I'm about to read in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, it says, uh, to the king of Babylon, right? So, so don't get distracted by that. Uh, really what's taking place here is Isaiah is prophesying to the spirit that is influencing the king of Babylon, not to the actual king of Babylon. It's in the same way that when Jesus was talking to Peter and he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, he's not, I probably shouldn't have pointed at you. I, I you know, <laughs> yeah. he's all crying up front. He's like, I'm not Satan, I swear. Um, you got to be careful with your words. Um, no, Jesus is not saying that Peter is Satan. What he's addressing is the spirit behind what is influencing Peter. And so, so don't get distracted by, by that language. In Isaiah chapter 14, in verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who, were, uh, you who once laid low the nations. Most scholars, or many scholars, I should say, believe that this takes place, that what's happening with the uh, expulsion of, of Lucifer uh, out of heaven takes place between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and it has to do with a punctuation that takes place there that's, a, uh, that's representative of a period of time. We read it and we kind of just flip through it, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, uh, but really that most scholars believe that what we're about to look into took place between those two verses. It says, uh, you said, it, keeps, it goes on, you said in your heart, I, and I want you to hear the language in this. Because again, this is the the prophetic word about Lucifer. You said in your heart, Lucifer, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You hear the language there? I, I, me. I just want to say, like, any time you encounter someone that uses the word I a lot, be alert, be alert. When, when someone says, I did this or I did that, and look at what I've done, it's, it's just a dangerous place to be. It's why we have to be careful with what we worship. We have to be careful with with what it is that we put first in our life. Isaiah 14, 11 in the New King James Version uh, says, Your pomp, your pride is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments. So now we're getting into uh, this idea that Lucifer is associated with worship. And many scholars believe that Satan or Lucifer didn't play an instrument, but that Lucifer was an instrument. And I don't, I don't even know what that looks like necessarily, but I kind of have an idea and an opinion about that that I'm going to come back to in a minute. In verse 12 of Ezekiel 28, it says, uh, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. It goes on and says, you were in Eden, meaning that the the Garden of Eden has been created, the Garden of God. Uh, Every precious stone adorns you. And and I want you to remember this, because this is going to be an important detail that we're going to come to at the end of the message. I'm not going to go into all of the the details of these stones that I'm about to read, but, but I encourage you, if you get the chance, look up Ezekiel chapter 28, look at these stones, and then Google them. Because uh, I did it. I, I Googled them, and uh, they're beautiful. These beautiful stones. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. He says, your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. The New King James Version of Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. So that you were, he was explaining that he's been created with all three of the instruments, right? He describes every instrument that exists. He didn't play it, he was it. And he wasn't just a a string instrument, he was a percussion instrument, he was a wind instrument. 
And it's where we get our instruments today. We have string instruments, our guitars, our banjos, our, uh, even, even the piano is a stringed instrument. But interestingly, it's also a percussion instrument because it takes some hammers to hit the strings. And now all of a sudden you have a percussion instrument, a percussion instrument being anything that you hit, right? So you're hitting the percussion instruments and then you've got the wind instruments, you've got all the great jazz instruments, you've got the, the trumpet and the saxophone and the clarinet and any, any instrument that, that you blow air into is a wind instrument. And if you've ever been to the symphony or if you ever go to the symphony uh, or ever seen one in your life, you know that they, they separate out, they segregate out the three different instrument types. And I don't know where they segregate them out to because this is laughable that I'm even talking about instruments because I don't know how to play one. But I, I have been to the symphony and I have seen that they separate them. They separate the wind and the percussion and the strings. It goes on in verse 14 and it says, you were anointed. So... Not only did he have these beautiful jewels that adorned him, that he was so beautiful to look at, and not only was he all of the instruments, but Scripture tells us that he was anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You are on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your way from the day you were created until the wickedness was found in you. I look at that and I, I read that God has chosen to put an anointing on music. And I, I, I didn't say on worship, but that there's actually anointing on music. On music. I could ask you about a time in your life in which maybe you uh, first uh, danced or met the, the first date that you went on. And I could ask you about a time in which, it, you know, in your basketball career, you came running out of the locker room or running out of the huddle to, uh, to, your, to your game. And, and I could ask you about a couple of those things, and you probably couldn't tell me what you ate on your first uh, date. Um, you probably couldn't tell me, like, whether you won that basketball game or not. But I bet you could tell me what song was playing. What song was playing as you came running out of the huddle? It was probably like, We Will Rock You or something along those lines. Uh, what, what song, like Kelly and I, we, we have a song, right? The Way You Look Tonight, it's an old, old song. And uh, it, it's, it's, our, it's our song, and, and it brings back memories to us. There's something about music, the melody of music, the, 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 that when we listen to it, it invokes something in us, doesn't it? When you, when you're, you know, one of my favorite scenes, it's not a great movie and you shouldn't watch it, but one of my favorite scenes in a movie is uh, in Jerry Maguire, when Jerry Maguire is driving down the road and, uh, and the song Free Fallen comes on and, he, and he's just belting it out while he's pounding the steering wheel and, 
And I know that some of you, when you drop your kids off at school, the radio comes up and you just turn into a diva. I know that this happens. There's something about music that inspires us and brings emotion into our life. Think about the time when you first uh, had had your first breakup in a relationship. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend broke up with you. What's your proper response? Go into your bedroom, close the door, and put on the most depressing music you've ever heard in your life and sulk about the fact that you actually are better than that other person. And you listen to music to tell you that or you listen to music to console your pain. There's something about music that has an anointing on it. And hear me when I say this, we underestimate the power that music has in our life, both good and bad. Both good and bad. It has power in our life. And, and I, I'm not in any way saying this as a, uh, as a, a humble brag or any of those things. I, I'm, I'm simply saying it because I actually believe this, that, that I don't listen to a lot of music other than worship music. I will tell you that I listen to Frank, to Louis Armstrong. I used to listen to a lot of Bob Dylan. Uh, he tells a story, and, you know, he's better than all the other secular music that exists. Uh, I listen to the Traveling Wilburys. You probably don't even know who that is. Um, I'm not saying it's positive influence, but I'm just saying, I'm just being honest with, with what I typically listen to. But anymore, I listen to worship music, and, and Jay kind of outed me on this, and I, I, um, but it's true. You could ask my family, my kids, when they're in the car, that's what we're listening to. And it's because I believe that there is power in music, both good and bad. And I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't listen to. This isn't uh, me trying to put something on you or that you should be like me. I'm not saying that at all. I grew up in an environment in the church that was kind of messed up. Um, I understand that the message that they were trying to convey is this message, what I'm trying to convey this morning, but it was couched in some legalism. Uh, I grew up at a time where you signed up for the subscription for the Columbia House uh, CD deal. Uh, I came after the cassette tape situation. Uh, and, and so these guys, they don't even know what a CD is. They've never seen one before. They've heard of them, but they've never seen them. And, and, and you pay like a penny, and you get like a million CDs. It was the best deal in the world until, until you forget to cancel your subscription. Um, but I grew up in the church at a time where, where music was considered bad. And I was a part of the group that was like, okay, bring all your secular CDs. That's plastic, by the way. And we're going to burn them. And, and we're going to burn them and we're going to listen to see if any of the demons come out of the, of the CDs. Like this is the, the, the language and the the fear and the guilt that was kind of heaped onto us. I, that's not me. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should go home and, I guess, burn your computers. Uh, burn, I don't know, burn your TV. Like, whatever, however you listen to your music. What I am saying is be aware. 
know what it is that you're listening to. And why are you listening to it? What effect does it have in your life? Let me read this again. It says, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You are on the holy mount of God. You walk among the fiery stones, though your widespread trade, through your widespread trade, through your gifts, he says, you were filled with violence and you sinned. In other words, this is where you went wrong. You used something that I gave you that was to be used for the glory of God, and you used it for something else. You used it for something else. It's why I'm asking you to just consider the things that you're listening to. What is it and why is it so powerful in your life? Listen, my kids, they they listen to some secular music. We have Apple music and we can monitor the music that they listen to. We know the music that their kids are listening to. We know the lyrics that are going into their head. But I'm telling you, it's not the lyrics that usually grab us. It's not. It's it's the melody. It's the tune. It's the song that we like. It's it's the thing that we hear, and it's catchy, and it's why. It's why you see in reels right now, and if you don't know what a reel is, you're my age or older. But these guys definitely know what a reel is. And a reel is like a, a short little video that you put music to. Anyways... Lots of people are doing this. They got reels. But what's interesting is you'll come across a reel of, uh, that some mom has put of her little kids to a song that is sexually explicit. But the tune is catchy. I don't even think they probably even know what the lyrics of the song are because surely if they knew the lyrics to that song, they would not be attaching that to their children. But it's the melody, it's the catchiness, it's the tune that we listen to, and it sucks us in, and it's, it's the thing that invokes some sort of emotion in us. And I just want to remind you that, as was the case in Lucifer, he took something that was meant to be used for God, and he used it for something else. It goes on to say, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. This picture of the expelling of Lucifer and the grabbing of those jewels away. Jesus describes this event in Luke chapter 10. He's uh, talking to the disciples, and this is the account in Scripture where Jesus is addressing the disciples, and he's sending them out to go and pray for people, to lay hands on them, to heal them, to cast out the demonic, and And the disciples go out and they do that. They go and lay hands and people get healed and demons flee. And they come back to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you're never going to believe this. Like, I know you said this would happen, uh, but we went out and it actually happened. (laughs) Like, like even the demons like fleed from us. And Jesus is standing there thinking, 
yeah, like, that's why I sent you out, anointed you, like, go and do that. And they're like, yeah, but you don't understand. You should have seen it. And Jesus is like, in verse 18 in, in chapter 10, it says he replied to the disciples, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Like, like it's cool that you guys cast out demons and everything. I just want you to know, I'm not trying to one-up you or anything, but I just want you to know, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And, and most people imagine this, this expulsion of, of Lucifer. I don't know if that's a word, but it's, it is today. The, this expulsion, right? Expulsion of, yeah, there we go. All the teachers are like, yes, you need to go back to school. But so it, a lot of times people imagine this event being this struggle, this battle that's taking place between God and Lucifer and back and forth and the angels and this war that's taking place. It was nothing like that. In fact, if this story was a movie, it'd be over in a second. It was like lightning. Done. You're out. From the moment that pride entered in and the moment it became about him, it was done. But now there's a problem. Michael is still helping us pray helping us in fighting our battles, probably during 21 days of prayer. This is how I fought my battles, hands raised on my knees. Gabriel is still giving us messages from the Holy Spirit, but now, now there's this vacancy in the role of worship. The question is, why didn't God put another angel in the spot of Lucifer? Which leads to another question, which is, who is the new worship leader? Well, the simple answer to that is me and you. We are. See, this is happening before Adam was created. And so God's like, you know what? I'm going to let humans be the worship leaders. And, And did you know that as humans, we too have all three of the instruments? We have strings, which you probably know as vocal cords. Vocal cords, if you were to slow them down, are like a series of strings that are going on in, in your vocal box. Uh, I was going to say in your throat. I don't think it's in your throat. It's in your, where, wherever your vocal cords are. It's there. And, and if you slow it down, it's like a, a series of strings that when, when wind passes it, when your air from your lungs pass over it, it creates Music, it creates noise, and so you have string, but then you also have in your lungs your wind instrument. And guess what else you have? Some percussion instruments. That's my sarcastic clap, this one is. Don't use a sarcastic clap. People don't like it. Um, But you have percussion instruments. It's why when we worship, we clap our hands sometimes. It's why we use our wind instruments. It's why we use our vocal cords. We have all three. I'm not saying that Lucifer looked like us necessarily, but I am saying that we have all three of the instruments. God had a reason why he did it. And let me show you the how and the why. The first thing is this, is that God made me from him. In the creation account, there are two words that are used. There's the word create and make. Or made, created and made. 
The word create is to form something out of nothing. It's when God said, let there be light, he created light. But the word make is to form something out of something, right? If you look at the Genesis story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, it says, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land. So God made the land, but the land actually, out of the land came the trees. Why were some things created? Why were some things made? Why did the trees have to have a relationship with the land? Well, God wanted there to be a relationship between the thing that he made, the land, and the thing that it came from. I will make the land, I will make the earth, but I'll let the trees come from it so that they're connected. They're made from the dirt. They're sustained by the dirt. They get their nourishment and their life from the dirt. And one day, they will return back to the dirt. So when he made Adam, he created Adam. When he made Eve, Scripture tells us that that she was bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He wanted there to be a relationship with the two. When he made all of mankind, where did he make all of mankind from? Verse 26 of chapter 1 in Genesis says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our image. He wanted us to be made from him, to be sustained by him, and to one day return to him. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm pretty sure we were made from dust. Well, there is truth that your body, your physical body, is made from the dust. You were made from the dust. You're sustained by the dust. Your physical body is sustained by the dust. We grow corn. We grow potatoes. We grow tomatoes. We grow all of the tomatoes. We grow food out of the dust, and then we are sustained by the dust. And then someday, this is a morbid thought, but someday, where will we go? Our physical bodies will return to the dust, but not our spirit. Not our spirit. Our spirit is made from him, is sustained by him, and one day will return to him. So God made me from him, but then God also made me to be with him. See, God never wanted a religion. He never really even wanted like this institution, organizational, operational thing called the church. He just wants relationship with us. And we have this, this warped view that somehow God in heaven, it has us as his minions if we've committed our life to him, that, that somehow we've committed ourselves to just be these minions and these servants to just kind of do this and do that and do, follow this way and follow that way. And, and I just want to kind of stop us for a moment and say that's really not what he's asking of us at all. In fact, he's got two-thirds of the angels left that, that are that way that are doing that, that are available to him at any moment and available. He he doesn't need more angels. He needs relationship. 
In fact, he's got an angel. The old job of the angel is, is just to say, holy, 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 holy. You want me to keep going? Holy. I mean, that's for eternity. That's his job. I know some people that would fit that job description really, really well. I don't, I don't want my uh, mansion in heaven being next to that guy. I'm just saying. Like, I have this, vo- this, this thing. It's just, just God wants a relationship. Ephesians chapter 5 is a beautiful verse in verse 31 that we, we hear all the time. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this verse. I've used it at a wedding before. Um, sad to say. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a great verse for a wedding, except for it really has nothing to do with the wedding. It sounds beautiful, but he says, that's not really what I'm talking about. In fact, he says, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about is Christ and the church. This is the profound mystery that, that, that the two would become one, that, that Christ and the church would become one, that that's God, that is God's greatest desire, that God created Eve because man was lonely. God created mankind because he wanted to have relationship with us. The church is his bride, and he can't wait to show his bride off. He can't wait to show off the church. Revelation, yeah, we're going there. Here we go. Revelation 21, 9 through 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls uh, that were full of the seven last plagues. <laughs> this is a horrible buffet. Um, came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. I'm going to, it's going to be the church. I'm, I'm going to show off the church. I will show you the bride, the church. And it goes on, it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. He said, come down out of heaven from God. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. And listen to this next verse. He says uh, in verse 19, he goes, the foundations of the city walls. Remember all of the jewels that adorned Lucifer that were ripped from him. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And I think it's not a coincidence that the foundation was decorated with the exact same stones the jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth, talking about the different gates, the different walls, uh, the onyx, the ruby, the chrysolite, the beryl, the topaz, the turquoise, the jacinth, the, the amethyst, these jewels that once adorned Lucifer now decorate the walls for his bride, for the church. He doesn't just adorn the walls, he adorns us, he adores us. That's why. That's why we worship him. He's in love with us. And the only thing that we have is our response to his love for us. 
Which leads me to the third and the final thing is that God made me to love him back. That's all he wants. If you really want to know what God wants from you, from your life, he just wants you to love him back. In every possible expressive way to put him first in your life and to love him back. In John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will, and I want you to, if you have your Bibles, underline that word worship, will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That word worship right there, there's not an English word for that. The English word that's using, used, using, used there is worship, but it's not really the right translation. There's just not an English word for this. This happens sometimes uh, in the translation from Greek to English is uh, even uh, in the translation of the Holy Spirit, pneuma, and uh, it really means breath, not necessarily spirit, and, but the holy breath doesn't sound right. It's, it just sounds bad, and uh, it's the Holy Spirit, and, but it doesn't adequately describe it. The word here, this word worship, the Greek word is proskuneo, proskuneo. And in the Greek, the definition of it, some of you aren't going to like all that much, uh, the definition means to kiss. The reason we don't like it is because we think of the kiss of a lover. We, we think, that's weird. Like, like how, why would I like, kiss God? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. But it literally means, it's not meaning like, like, like the kiss of a lover. That's a different Greek word. This literally means, in the verb uh, tense, means to kiss the hand to kiss the hand. Let me give you a, a little different illustration. Uh, we have a dog. His name is Cooper. And we had a dog whose name was Roscoe. R Roscoe uh, was a Boston Terrier, loved me, uh, was, had affection towards me. He died, uh, which is sad. Um, but then we replace Roscoe with Cooper. Cooper does not love me. Cooper loves Kelly. And when we come home, we'll be gone all day, and we'll get home, and guess who's there to greet, not us, to greet Kelly? Cooper. Cooper's there. He's waiting. He'll, we have glass in our front door. He's like looking up, waiting for us to come in. He'll run around the house. He'll, he'll do a lap around the house. He'll come back and, because he's waiting for us to get in there. And, and as soon as we get into the house, he brings a toy to Kelly because he knows better than to bring it to me. He, he brings it to Kelly and he drops it at her feet. He jumps up and, and he just loves her. He adores her. It's also because he gives her treats, it gives him treats, but he loves her. She'll be sitting on the couch, she'll be watching something, I'll be at the, the kitchen table and I'll be uh, working on my computer and I'll look over and I'll see something really interesting. Cooper will kind of go up, he knows he's not supposed to be on the couch, although lately it seems he is. It's part of the reason I don't love Cooper, but he'll, he'll get up close and Kelly's hand will just be resting there and Cooper will kind of get up there and, and lick her hand which is disgusting, but lick her hand as a reminder to her 
that he's there, that he loves her, that he just wants her to be aware that as he licks her hand that he's there. As I was thinking about that, I, was, I know we're talking about dogs here, but I was, I was like, that's it. That, that's what worship is for us, is us. I mean, we are so eager to spend time with God. We're running laps. We're here early. We're ready to spend time in his presence, and, and we are worshiping. We're, we're licking his hand. I know that sounds weird, but, but we're worshiping him in such a way that we're like, God, I'm here. I love you. I care about you. I'm available to you. That there's something in that translation, there's something in that that says, God, my worship isn't just about singing songs. It's not about the melody. It is about me loving you. And it's in us. It's in every one of us. And I'll explain it like this, that if you've ever gone on a long trip, and then you come back and you're at the airport and, and you're waiting for your luggage and you, or you come down the escalator at, at the San Antonio airport and, and you see people with signs, with balloons, flowers, and, and they're, they're there and they're greeting their loved ones and, and you're there and no one's there to greet you. You're like, man, my life sucks. Like, there's, there's something in you that longs for that. Right? When, when I uh, had the opportunity to try, travel to Colombia, to South America, we were supposed to be gone this last week, but for obvious reasons, I didn't go. And um, when I get off the, the airplane and I walk through immigration, on the other side of immigration are families over here, families here. They all, bienvenidos, flowers, balloons. Some of them bought musical instruments. I mean, it is this greeting beyond greeting. I'm just like, I mean, now, Juan Allen is always there to greet me at the airport. So this is not a knock on you, Juan Allen, uh, which is more than I can say when I return home. My greeting on the way home is from my Uber driver. My family won't pick me up from the airport. They, they won't. I don't know why. I don't, personally, I think that's a love issue. I think we're probably going to need to work that out in some counseling, but, or I am. Um, but they don't greet me. And, but there's something in me that's kind of like, man, that would be nice. be nice to see somebody else other than this guy with a mustache greeting me in the Uber car. Like, there's something in us that longs the presence of the people that we love. And worship for us, as we worship our God, it is like running, would we run laps around? Would we, would we eagerly await the opportunity to worship him? See, for some of us, we don't even fully understand that that is why we worship we don't understand the, the premise and the understanding of, of the purpose of worshiping our God. He's looking for people who are excited to see him. John chapter 4, verse 23, and I'll, I'll end with this. A time is coming, just read this again, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, will run around, New circles eagerly approach the Father, 
in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Next week, next week we're going to be, um, we're going to conclude our time of 21 days of prayer and worship. And, uh, and as we do that, uh, in the evening, we're going we're gonna to gather uh, Sunday morning here. We're going to have a, a good time here. But then Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to have uh, a night of worship, a night of prayer and testimony. And, uh, and so for, for me, for us, this is a great way to end and conclude our 21 days of prayer and fasting is in the worship of our God. And I recognize there's school schedules and I recognize there's things. We're going to try to have some refreshments and stuff afterwards for us to hang out and, um, and, and fellowship with one another because we do find that important. But this is a time for us to eagerly await the presence of God and to come into his presence and not just have a sing-along, not just seeing words that are up on a screen, but to, to worship him to tell him how much we love him, to engage into relationship with our Father. Let's pray.